Hello, and today's episode of the podcast is once again brought to you by Ratty and Cantati. I just watched Ant-Man and Wasp Quantumania, and it was the most frictionless and boring movie I've seen in a long time, and it made me depressed. But then I typed into my browser, R-A-T-T-I-I-N-C-A-T-A-T-I, I didn't have that written down, I hope I got it right, dot com, and went and beheld a trove of riches weird zines, frictionful games that latched onto my brain and made me want to live an artistic and human life. You can go there and get the exact same feeling, I promise. Medically prescribed, raddyandcantaddy.com. This is RTFM. Um, <laughs> I, it seems weird to do an ad and then introduce, but we did it. I'm Aaron. I I love I love your ads. They're like I don't I don't know. They're exciting for me. Uh, hopefully they are. I'm getting the secondhand uh, life life vibe juices. Uh, I am Max Wellander. It's not my it's not my name. Uh, and today it's a rough this is a rough start today. Yeah. Today we have a, a a very fun a very fun guest Adam Adam Vass, a uh, game designer of our favoriteest games. Uh, Adam, welcome. Introduce yourself. Hi, thank you. Uh, my name is Adam Vass. I make games, tabletop games, as World Champ Game Co. Uh, I use he, they pronouns, and I'm uh, glad to be here with a couple weirdos to talk about some <laughs> weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, frictionful games. Um, as a heads up, before we dive in, this is also the impetus for the first ever RTFM hosted game jam on itch.io. By the time you hear this, we'll be hosting a game jam for Blood Beam Badlands, which is the game we're talking about, uh, with permission and blessing from the author. Uh, and we're going to do a little special episode at some point about some entries. We'll talk more about it later. But, uh, you know, if you need some game design inspiration, this might be a way to get into it. Uh, Blood Beam Badlands is an RPG by Viditia Voletti. It's published in 2021 as a 14-page zine. Uh, I was reading it on my old shitty computer, and then I came here where I'm dog-sitting on my new computer and saw that this PDF had almost twice as many pages as the old one, which is really cool. Like, sometimes if you support an indie artist, your games double in size for free. Um, you can find it at Viditia Voletti itch.io slash bloodbeam hyphen badlands that's it, it rules it's great <laughs> yeah i just thought i'd start off on some real high notes because i know i'm the i'm the downer of the podcast uh and this game fucking rules this game rules it's yeah know. right off the bat there's very clear vibes um i just want to read like some of the first prose from the book it says you have survived the apocalypse, and your worst nightmare has come true. The sun burns redder, brighter, and hotter, never setting the forever dawn. The land has been irradiated and kissed by its strange sanguine rays, warping the world into a carnival. Vampires. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Uh, I don't know. Do we want to, like, a high level? Does someone want to summarize the game? Vampires. Forever dawn guns being badass and weird this is why you often do the summarize this is why you often summarize things because i'm just like here's a bunch of words that i thought while reading this book 
a bunch of vampires. Uh, I think I'll take a stab at it, and I think this might be why uh, I was specific. I was invited for this episode um, because at first I was like, <laughs> I didn't write this game. What do you want me to say about it? But uh, after you know, after rereading it and uh, kind of like seeing the magic that flows through the text, um, I think I understand that I was uh, asked because it one is my shit. And uh, <laughs> two, because of just how like gonzo it is. And I think I often, especially in like our small sort of indie community, am one of the like gonzo outliers, I feel. So this game, you play as um, kind of like low level vampires in a world where the sun doesn't go down. Um, so you're like constantly under threat of just existing as well as these really wild myriad of threats outside of um, the weather itself in the forms of magic guns and dinosaurs and just like freak mutations that are just combinations of words you've not read before Um, (laughs) and that is often a special sauce that gets me into anything it's just like um, revolver face revolver. two, two <laughs> yeah. words that just get smashed together and are immediately evocative and immediately hook me into knowing that things are going to get weird in a really fun way revolver and, face uh, the dinosaur I feel yes. like the extra word <laughs> also does a lot uh, yeah. yeah there's a real sense that like you could hold this up with cyber metal 2012 and like plasmodics or torque and just have this trilogy of like apocalyptic like drawings specifically from these known genres but taking them into really personal but also really strange places and just like get these three different flavors together as this like snapshot maybe of the indie space in the early 2020s it's good I would love for that to be true in a hundred years when I'm well forgotten that like <laughs> there I, I made something of some cultural significance. Um, but even if that isn't the case, um, it's a lot of fun for the people who, who are alive right now to experience. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We live in the best time for this specific worst time in many ways, best time for this one specific lens <laughs> really rad little uh, apocalyptic games. I also like I mean right off the bat like the game starts with this safety and calibration thing which is something that I have never read in a game before. Like safety safety intros for sure, but the calibration tool is just like it's not really a tool but like the 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 framing of it for me was like oh, why why not games all do this? <laughs> like why does not cuz it's it the idea here is that like it's talking about the themes and the genres like like the apocalypse, which often are fraught with really terrible things historically. So whether that's like various kinds of oppression or racism or whatever, but like gives you this little rundown of how this is kind of pulling on some of those themes, but in no way, shape or form is it meant to replicate that. And in no way, shape or form is this game trying to encourage you to replicate that when playing it, um, which I think is useful and just like a nice I don't know for me it's a nice way to set the tone 
for the game and also acknowledge that like we can interact with these genres that uh, don't have the greatest histories like western media like western like wild west media is what i mean not you know western world media although that too um yeah and i just really liked the way that it framed all that yeah it makes explicit a lot of things that i think a lot of designers want to include implicitly Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that does a lot it's it functions as an artist statement in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's a great like, way to look at it. Yeah, I made this game that is um, vampires slinging guns, but here's what I think about vampires and here's what I think about guns. And like, yes, the rules are going to innately support these beliefs and that would be implicit, but it leaves the door ajar for some level of bad faith interaction, which I don't know is like, um, the main re- I don't think that I mean like by including it here you're staving off some of that which is nice but I think more so it allows the author's voice to address you directly and say like you might be curious you know especially like what Max said you go into a Wild West game almost knowing something is gonna be uh, a miss about the setting innately <laughs> yeah um and this text says like hey bud i know too you know and like we're gonna try to combat it but we're also not going to like ignore it and um it does a thing that i think is really great in games in general which is saying like we can not include these things at all and still have a really good time like we can lose all of the baggage of vampire um, literature that is harmful and abusive or we can include it and like use this safety that is playing in fiction to explore and address it in a critical way and um, again not to like reference my own stuff all the time but no, I think that like, go for it yeah that is um, something that I really enjoy about my design philosophy is like, yes, there's meaning here, there's metaphor here, but also you can just have a good time. And they don't, they're not mutually exclusive, but like you're giving the players, the readers um, permission to have their chosen experience. So if you want to just do silly dinosaur gun vampire stuff, um, you totally can, but also you can like use that framework to explore uh, like social issues in an interesting way, and um, that's in itself very powerful. Um, in addition to again, just the uh, opportunity for the author to say what they mean, and that's I think something I would like to see in a lot more games. And I actually um, just seeing this as like this is page two. Um, is something that I would really like to do more explicitly in the future in my work is make my point and not hope that someone gets my point. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a really smart, but also just like, I don't know. You can't help but like cheer for it. I actually feel like the first time I ever read an overtly like political, like personal political statement in the beginning of a book might've been one of yours. Uh, in a like <laughs> this I think I think there was a game in which there was a this game is not for Nazis <laughs> um, and 
And I remember reading it and being like, yeah, just fucking say that shit right out. Like, we can just do that. There is no, in fact, not doing that when we're talking about, like, when we're designing stuff that deals with thematics that often pull on harmful ideas or harmful actions or harmful histories. It's like to not say that is, I don't know. My brain wants to go to cowardly. <laughs> that is the word that keeps coming up. Well, I'm not, I don't want to say that everybody who doesn't ever, like every game that doesn't say that is engaging in cowardice. It's just like, you know, if you are, even if you're just doing medieval fantasy, right? Like that shit's super harmful historically. And so being really clear about like where your inspiration and where your design intent is lives in relation to those themes and like where they're powerful for gameplay and where they're harmful for gameplay it's kind of just it's just a good it's just a good feeling it's a good it's like it's just very good vibes to set the book up with you're like oh i know for me at least it was like i'm gonna i knew i was gonna like this book but it's a it kind of affirms that my excitement and sets the energy high when going into reading it and then and obviously that translates to like now i would like to play it um but yeah, I think framing it as an artist statement is very, uh, is very good, which is so funny because as a person who like lives in arts and academia and whatever, I feel like people that aren't, aren't inner, aren't in that conversation hate artist statements. <laughs> I feel like yeah. they get a bad rap, but I'm into them. I mean, uh, it's a thing that I wrestle with in my head very often as we are game designers because games are an art form but they are also a commercial product they are also x y and z like they 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 do a lot of things and of course we have people in our industry who make and sell products and are not artists and we also have people on the other end of that spectrum who are like pure artists and don't necessarily care at all about selling things or packaging them in like air quotes professional ways and then pretty much the three of us and everyone we know is going to exist somewhere on that spectrum of how much of your work is based in art and the act of creation and the fostering of this um, conversation between a piece that you make and its audience and how much of it is I want to sell 10,000 units I want to get distributed in Barnes and Noble and that isn't to say um, books that are in stores are not art products, but you know what I mean? It's like we're we're battling this all the time in our own brains of am I an artist? Am I a company, I guess, or like a distributor? And um, because of that, I think something like an artist... And, you know, Viditia never calls it my artist statement. This is the calibration page. Right. And this is to get you on the level of its creation but to me that is effectively like that is what an artist statement functions as like here i am i made this art and here's why i made this art and here's it's not still telling you exactly the right and wrong ways to engage with art because i don't think that's productive or realistic but it's still like here's something to keep in mind as you look at the rest of this and putting it at the beginning of the project and not having it be a footnote and having it be um, something else like that is a frame around which the rest of this painting is going to be viewed. And I think that's really great. Um, But yeah, like you said, uh, the term itself, the artist statement, 
um, I think would get a lot of eye rolls. <laughs> I think it's funny because like the artist statements for a really long time, I was kind of anti-artist statement because I was, I don't know, young and stupid. Um, and I had this like, don't tell me how to feel about a thing. Um, and I think at some point it changed to like, if you have questions about the artist's intent, those things are not transparent always in the art, and and not, and not even like they're not always tra- they're not always transparent, but they're very rarely transparent because the the when you are having an experience, it is going to be filtered through your lived experience, right? And so like a thing that I feel like I question a lot, and we certainly talk about a lot here, is like especially in games, there's this was this intentional or am I reading into this or was this a part of what how they wanted us to play or did I did this weird play thing come up and is that a part of the intentional design or is that a part of like emergent play structures and it's kind of nice to have that thing to look back to to see the intent whether that's like at odds with your experience or not um but being like Oh, am I? I mean, I wouldn't play this game, but you know, like if if a, I, w- I would play this game, but I wouldn't play it in this way. But if I was a person who played this game, I was like, oh, a bunch of racism came up because we were playing in a Wild West theme, and to be able to go back and be like, I'm the problem, <laughs> you know, like there is a little bit of that that because when we've read games in the past, like I mean, Fiasco comes to mind a lot, but like if it had, if there was a clear statement by the author of these are my views, like this is my opinion, this is what I is important to me and what my values are, then it, it does also kind of help you engage in the game in a safer way. Like without a safety tool, like not like you can have your safety tools, but even just having that for me feels like there is some like emotional cushioning t- happening in the setup of the game so it functions like not just as this abstract statement but also as like a framing that really helps scaffold the kind of play i'm gonna have yeah Um, it's interesting oh go ahead it's it's bringing to mind too the idea of like watching going to the theater and watching a movie and having an experience in an emotional way and i think it's more commonly uh believed that a movie can be art and I think at the same time, you can see a Mission Impossible and say, not all movies are art, but that doesn't make them bad. And, uh, But the function in movies, which are obviously a billion-dollar industry, is we get to read and explore director commentary or interviews in that way. and Even just, like, trailers. Yeah. But in the same way, a trailer is made by the studio to... Right get you in the theater like to sell tickets so it is not innately the function to relay the message um the movie is the message and then sometimes you have instances where just hearing a director talk about it would really hammer that message home um i in cyber metal made a lot of my beliefs and thoughts implicit pretty heavy-handed but implicit (laughs) and it was really heartening to hear you all talk about it on the show and pick up on a lot of those things that I was saying but then having the opportunity later to go write the fanzine and do the director's commentary and make those explicit um, one it feels really good for me as the creator to to focus on those things and like make sure that they are known and that there is less of a chance of misinterpretation but it's an opt-in thing you know the fanzine is a 
tertiary product. The director interviewed for a film is something that someone goes and looks up if they want to know more. And I think that's great um, to have it available somewhere. But again, in this starting off your book with it is so strong. It's such a flex. And uh, (laughs) it just proves in one of many ways how uh, clever and like pointed Vidatia is as a designer. Because this was, in addition to this being a calibration tool for you to play it, it's also saying like, these are what I had in mind while I was designing this. And it makes all the choices that we're going to read later as we flip through this book um, more deliberate and make more sense and adds this context to like the fact that he cares about the thing that he wrote. Um, I just want to chime in. I like most of my interaction with art is like reading novels often from like a hundred years ago or more. And I'm like, I'm usually, I don't want an artist statement. Like I'm uninterested in the context because often I like the experience I'm looking for is like some level of verisimilitude, like a realized world that I can enter into and just like, I want to bring my own feelings to it. I want to project my own where I'm at onto this and see what emerges. Uh, but the thing about a book is it's like a solitary experience and I can close the book at any time. And so like when we're talking about like, oh, I'm against artist statements, I'm for them. Like I think the social context and the kind of art and how old it is like matters a lot. And I think I think it was Max we are talking about this at some point and you just pointed out like, yes, those are solitary experiences. This is a social experience. A game is, and it's also a group experience. And so it can be harder. You can't just close the book. You know, um, you're often in these groups with social dynamics that make certain things harder or easier. And a game rule text as something that's explicitly explanatory, like I am going to tell you how to do things to help you play this game. Yes, put those introductions in because it's already such an explanatory text. Like you said, it can only help, you know, you can ignore this one page if you want to, but like it's there and it's useful. And it's like, uh, it contextualizes the whole thing in a way that is something to fall back on. If those social experiences do feel fraught, uh, or like Adam said, if, if things are coming up in the rules and you're, you're not sure, you're kind of struggling with something, you can look back at this and be like, oh, right, here are kind of my pillars, my foundations. How do we interpret this stuff in the light of this excellent beginning? Well, because games are like a hard a hard media and art medium to, to analyze. Because when you're talking about like the difference between a book or a piece of art or whatever, like I often read artist statements after I've experienced the art, right? Like if I'm going yes. through a gallery, I will read the artist statement afterwards and I will like go in and have a, a, a fresh experience and kind of have my own interpretations and then go back and see what that adds to. But I'm not saying that game books aren't art because they are, but such a huge part of game as art is the actual game play, right? And so you're like not, when you're reading the book, you're not really experiencing the art fully. Often the art experience is coming, or at least the way that I think about it is often like the experience of art that you're going to have is often in the playing of the game, not in the reading of the book that is explaining the game. And so like, yeah, it is already this like, explanatory thing and because it's social i just really like it when some 
understandings are shared and made explicit through the group right like this isn't a place to engage in your super racist wild west fantasies you know like i like that (laughs) being like this is not what this is for that's not what we're doing and like yeah the players can always say that but there's no reason that the game can't also you know yeah yeah yeah, it's just good stuff. Good, we're on page. We're up, we've gotten to like page. <laughs> yeah, we two. gotta we gotta move on. <laughs> we got to page uh, two. Max, you had said that this is your perfect level of crunch. It's I think. my perfect level of crunch. And so, I, did you want to take us into the rules? Yeah, the rules are really compelling, and uh, so you have stats and sources are like the two main mechanical components, and your stats are guts, guile, and guys, and your sources are blood, bullets, and burn. Although these. It, the one of the cool things is that you can just like make up more sources later on in the game or make up different stats to like when you're making npcs or or bad guys or whatever um and what i and the the central role that happens more often than not is like you're gonna roll one of your stats under one of your sources which is cool so your stats are the number of d6 you're gonna roll so if you have a, a guts three you'll roll three d6 yeah there's also d3s in here sometimes and if you have uh blood uh which is like your your life force or whatever of like four then you want one of those d6s to come up under four um but it means that it has this like fun modular narrative moment right where you can have like any of your stats under any of your sources and that it's just this like really clever way to have only a few numbers, but have them intersect in different ways so that you actually can have them expand. So a lot of, I feel like a lot of game designers want are like, well, I want to have a stat for every circumstance or I want to have a skill for every circumstance. And so then you end up with 37 numbers on your character sheet. Um, and this is really nice. This is a, It's just a really nice way to put like a character trait against a circumstance in a way that is modular um but it also means that you have like a little bit of crunch like there's a little bit of crunch because there is i don't know this maybe this is silly of me but i often think about crunch as like how many numbers do i have to pay attention to (laughs) at any given time um but for people who you know like sometimes one of the things that i miss in in some of the like super light OSR situations that I've been in is that stats and mechanics function for me when they are their best, they function as a puzzle, right? Like whether that's my character is kind of a puzzle. So I'm trying to figure out how it is that I can either best use the resources that I have available to me or like go out on my strongest foot or what's the wildest thing. And it becomes these like slotting all these puzzle pieces in place. And that's where I think actually like crunch kind of lives is, is in how many different pieces does your puzzle have? But what I really like about it is that when you get into making NPCs and, uh, and baddies, it can be as crunchy as you want it to be. Like you can keep adding special abilities and those special abilities, I'm trying to find an example, but those special abilities can be a custom resource. I think one of them at one point is like cannon. One of the one of the NPCs has a cannon and so they have like revolver face. It's the famed revolver face. Is it revolver face? Like, yeah. I love revolver face is just forever living rent free in my mind. Um and and so all of a sudden you have this new toolkit to play with for that NPC and you can you could make that known to the players and all of a sudden they get it but also as a as a gm if you're doing that behind the scenes and you want to plan stuff then you have these this 
this resources that you have to manage as well. And so it does become this fun back and forth puzzle, which I think is what I used to think D&D was. Like my, <laughs> my dream of what D&D was when I was playing it was that of like, I am playing a game that has limitations. So I, as a GM, I have to play within those limitations and be creative and be surprised at outcomes and sometimes be at a loss. Like I'm not just omnipowerful or whatever, um, but also, you know, that's the that's the hit point thing of like, oh, if you if, that's why you want that's why I think the exposed dice are fun, right? It's like you want if you see you roll really well, you're expecting something big. And and I feel like that that interplay and in all of those numbers is like a really fun play space without actually being too mentally taxing because it is thirty seven skills, you know? Right. <laughs> it's just really elegant. It's extremely uh, elegant. Revolver face has three pools of HP, three sources, meet four, cannon three, and burn four. Burn is something that PCs also have. And then one of its special moves is spend one cannon to fire a giant bullet out of your face. Um, so you're kind of, you're, you, you can't use it a lot, but you can spend one burn to gain one cannon. So you can kind of spend your basic HP to refill your bullets. And then if you eat something that is irradiated, you gain one burn. So it's automatically setting up this fun dynamic where the GM is like shooting these bullets. And maybe you are talking about this currency. I'm going to spend this last bullet. Or maybe you are describing it fictionally. You know, there's only three bullets in the chamber the, or three bullets in the in its stomach. I don't know. But like explaining visually how this is the last bullet. But then it like roars and shoots its own blood into a new bullet and then it has to run off to eat something to like reload it just sets up this really fun dynamic that i think is enjoyable whether you are showing how the sausage is made and describing the mechanics or if you're keeping that behind the curtain and being like oh it seems like he's out of bullets but then it eats this thing and converts its radiation and its own blood and meat into a new bullet like it's awesome (laughs) it's good stuff yeah, it's really good. I feel like it. it is just like, it could be really simple and lean if you wanted it to be. Because you don't have to play Revolver Face with that, right? Like, you could just, you could just have NPCs that are, that are, that don't have custom resources, that just have the same ones, have a couple of the ones that the PCs have. Mm-hmm. Um, but also you can kind of ex- expand upon it, which might be a fun thing for the jam. Uh, <laughs> expand upon it kind of like as much as you want, which the book also does through like having character classes. What are they? They're not... They're powers, they're right? Like the, po- the abilities that yeah. like you can spend your resources to have uh, special abilities that happen, which are also all fabulous and really... They are where a lot of the words I've not said, I've not seen written next to one another exist in this book for me. Uh, in in some of those, in some of those abilities, um, but also they just, I really feel like the character abilities would inspire really strange solutions to any kind of like difficulty set forward, like the yeah. one where you disappear into the shadows and also you need to eat people's shadows rip the shadow off of something and turn it into a tool or weapon (laughs) so good so good there are bullets you can fire that you can then appear instead of the bullet so you can shoot someone and then before it hits appear with the same momentum of the bullet having shot yourself at your enemy i don't know it's good stuff it's so good it's 
it's I feel like it's rare on this um, on this little podcast of ours that we find games that have all of those good words and also such good mechanics and also it's none of the bad words very none of the, I don't think there's any bad words here <laughs> not a not a, not a bad word anywhere uh, yeah it's just really slick it's really slick in a way that I don't know I don't know. I feel like I have my like little my little top five is starting to brew in my in my head, but um, of games we've talked about, and I guess technically I don't know. I don't know. We have to discuss whether or not Cyber Metal counts because it was a it was a special episode. But um, games like this, not dissimilar to when I read Cyber Metal, were like why 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 do I play other games? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Let's just play these games and adapt them to whatever circumstance we're playing but yeah uh to continue the sort of rules crunch um sweet spot i feel the next couple pages talk about rolling the dice and like using your skills and stuff yes and i really like that there's you know the i think we take for granted the idea is just when there's an obstacle you roll and you succeed or fail um but there's all these interesting like edge cases that Viditale lays out, um, such as like spending a resource to auto succeed instead of rolling. So that's when you get into those special player powers, um, and those are the ones that are going to really drop you into this world of of weirdos and like immerse you in that strange language. Um, you have like advantage and disadvantage, but um, my favorite one is the spectacle. Uh, yes. <laughs> so when the lowest die that you roll is equal to the source value, something explosive happens. So you disastrously succeed and triumphantly fail. And so that is a chef's kiss. That is <laughs> I I really like that and I think um in games like Necronautilus I have that of like you critically succeed but also you're going to lose the skill. Um I like almost having a consequence before, so your head doesn't blow up, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, you did a great job, but I'm taking, I'm still taking something from you. Yeah. Um, but the way this is used such that, uh, you can match a one. Um, so like your source is extremely weak. Uh, every time you roll that one, it is a spectacle. And then the inverse, like when you have a six so that you're very likely to, uh, get this to happen you're going to succeed almost all the time but it will also be a spectacle in that something bad also happens on your critical successes so it brings this almost like compression to your results your role results where yes it's a sort of binary success and failure but based on how strong you are at a certain thing um, you increase the likelihood that it is going to change your circumstance in a pretty extreme way right well and change your circumstance is such a good set of terms because the chapter is called pushing the story forward by rolling dice it's not called mechanics it's not called success versus failure like it's framed as let's keep things going let's get exciting let's get weird let's keep things moving and i just think again with the the opening statement these small changes of framing, if read earnestly, 
are such good reframes of like more traditional RPG ideas. Like this is not about winning or losing. This is about pushing the story forward. Like you want your stuff, you want your stats to fall because it makes things exciting. You want these explosive moments. There's no critical success. There's just big weird spectacles. Uh, I think the mechanics and the text equally like push toward interesting moments, interesting problems, ways to like snatch defeat from the jaws of victory like you're never just going to be like oh we won there's a new status quo everything's peaceful it's always things are changing you're burning in the sun you're running out of blood we got to keep moving so good that's good yeah um i there's art in this by viditya i don't know if he considers himself like a visual artist but he should but the mood of these drawings um are such a perfect match with the vibe of the game um they look digital uh like maybe drawn on a stylus all red yellow and black um the same colors as the rest of the book and a lot of them are small like you might call them spot arts there's one for each of the special character abilities some of them are very small like one inch by two or whatever uh I think, you know, there's maybe like six pieces of art in the whole book. To me, that's more than enough. Like, it's just so perfect for the mood. Um, Some of the logos are hand-drawn as well. And I think I just want to get at, and maybe Adam has more to talk about this, because you do a lot of your own art for your games. Like, there's this sweet spot of, I have drawn a T-Rex with a giant revolver for a face. Um, Perhaps someone out there has drawn a better T-Rex, has modeled three-dimensionally a more realistic T-Rex, but that simply would not do in this game. We need this, like, bloody flaming sketch of a monster. I think... And just the idea, especially in light of, like, all these, like, well, I'm an indie artist, so I can't afford art. I'm going to go use AI because people won't buy stuff with art. Like, how can we encourage people to make these weird little drawings and say, like, no, this is actually the perfect vibe for what you're making? There's something uh, I don't want to, like, I love the art in this book, so I'll start with that. Um, yeah. But something that I will say to people, and I think I, I mean it in a really good, like, encouraging way, but... Um, the idea that art is good or bad is wrong. Um, <laughs> yes, I love this. And truthfully, and again, I love this art. I'm not shitting on it, but I think Merkborg visual style, one of the best things that it did for indie RPGs uh, is, again, implicitly give permission to people to make bad art. And by that, I mean you don't have to, like, measure the proportions of a body. You can just draw, uh, in, in school they used to say, like, the symbol for a body. Or, like, yeah. you're not drawing an eye, you're drawing the symbol for an eye because you think you know what an eye looks like, but you really are just more so referencing, you know, the lines that we as humans have interpreted as the symbol that means eye instead of photorealism. Point being... You can just get out a crayon. You can get out a um, 
you can use your fingers like just make something right take a picture with your phone because it's just as good as any scanner anymore it doesn't really matter and use a free app like gimp or something and throw a threshold on it and now you have custom imagery for your project for zero dollars and effectively little time no time as much time as you want to put into it right. i think um that is to me the cultural impact of Merkborg is allowing people to make things that are less traditionally good and almost more evocative and more immersive because they come from your mind well like Viditia didn't hire someone to do this he can in his imagination like see like my favorite is probably uh on page 12 the vampire that's crawling out of a shadow yeah um and it doesn't matter the anatomy doesn't matter um the like roughness like you can almost still see the sort of gridded arm uh underneath the arm like the sketch layer still turned on um i like that and yeah my my point and aaron i think you are someone who makes great art and doesn't maybe give yourself the credit for uh how nice it looks but that is a sort of culture that i would like to see more of is um worrying less about it in a conventional manner and throwing them in your books because they're your books and it's your vision and like yeah. that's really cool. Um, that's always my number one thing that I want to encourage people to do is just get out a pen or a vial of ink or whatever and make a mess and that is always going to be more immersive and more evocative than um, AI generated anything or um, you know, you don't have to learn Photoshop and all these other tools to make something uh, out of stock art. Like you have the tools likely in your pockets right now uh, to make something whole cloth that is your own, that is your vision and that you like, that is you um, in the same way that these games are things that we believe in and um, often like socially, politically things that we mechanize um they are through our own lived experience lens so can be your art and it doesn't matter if you air quotes know how to draw or went to school for it or um have any kind of experience ever you could maybe have somehow become an adult without ever touching a pen <laughs> and like which is like you know given school budgets and stuff right <laughs> would not be surprising or even my um, habit lately, and this really started with Cyber Metal, but has um, grown further out from that, is just buying art tools that I've never used before. And like, I don't know necessarily how they work, um, but I don't super care because <laughs> the experimentation and the results of me just being liberated from structure or from what is good and what is bad um that feeling of freedom is so much more rich and productive than like using the inks that i've been using for years that i'm very comfortable with so i've just started like branching out and, and trying stuff um just to see what it looks like and 
sure I don't put every piece in a finished product, but like uh, there's something to it's it's like um, playstorming visually the same way that you would playstorm a game to see if the if you like how the mechanics feel or if you want to you know dig deep does this need to be a longer book or something like that you can do that with the visuals of of your project um, to put a bow on it and to come back full circle I think Viditia does the really excellent thing that is take this into my own hands um, save save money obviously because you're not having to hire somebody and outsource it but it, also in doing so create something that is very you and still evokes the thing that you're trying to evoke um, even just the lettering style that he chooses um, yeah. it's not a the, the title treatment and the adventure title they're not a font they're not a typeface um, he's writing it by hand and it's in this two and three color scheme um, and it's got flames coming off of it and it's very jagged and uh, it's got all these really interesting hard lines that to me sort yeah, of you be... can see the strokes of each yeah. pen yeah. There, and there's something cool to it too that you know on the cover it's around this sun like the sun that never goes down so everything is very flat and kind of mirrors this horizon line but also in a lot of western media and in vampire media weirdly you see a lot of really sharp and hard silhouettes and like our main character who's sort of doing the like circle jerk smoshing pose on the cover <laughs> that i love um little dance <laughs> we see we see you know that hard line of the hat and the hard line of the cape and that almost kind of mirrors the shapes that we're seeing in the letter forms and i think that's really neat and I don't know how much of that is on purpose or just like a coincidence because the same person drew it, but that to me works um, in spades and and really has me uh, hooked into the world in a way that's very different from you know putting a sepia filter on a western like uh, landscape image or something. I also yeah. wanted to add. You mentioned Merkberg. Merkberg, um, like the <laughs> art is Merkberg. messy, but is buttressed by this like very professional, high scale magazine style almost layout, um, and that's good. It's a strong aesthetic. This has a very plain layout, um, and I don't mean that as a criticism. I mean it as if you look at. Uh, a crazy game and you're inspired to make messy drawings but you're like oh but I also have to have this super intricate well gridded layout I have to learn all this stuff uh, this is a simple one column layout there's very good use of like information hierarchy as far as like using color and bold and uh, italics to guide the eye but that's something you know you can look up one blog post on information hierarchy and put something out this clear um generally keeps information to one or two pages like it's just a clear basic layout that hopefully did not take a lot of time and eat into someone's joy in making this game but absolutely works to deliver the info like you don't have to be you don't have to have a fake 
paper background you don't have to excuse you have a million fonts i'd say this is someone who loves reading some of that stuff you know okay, but I'm also joking. if you're afraid hot twitter topic <laughs> oh i didn't see that thank god <laughs> but if you, if you don't have the time to do that if you're worried about doing it well like just learning the basics of information hierarchy finding a decent font picking a couple colors and then going gets you there and you know, like we are being more joyful about this game with a very clear, simple layout than games that have spent hundreds of dollars on layout. And so maybe, you know, I hope if you are in a place where you're struggling to uh, put out a game, know that you can just put it out with what you have and people might find it and love it and be excited about it. So, yeah, I mean, it's all uh, it's all a lie. Not this game. The whole like idea of art and being good and bad choices right like that's all a lie it's all a lie that is meant largely to bolster the capital a art world and the uh education industry uh and as a person who teaches in art school it's for sure a lie uh i think there's a lot of like perception that art is hard or that like it carries it carries so much that like old like ten thousand hour expert nonsense mentalities in it um because the academy or whatever and i think that um one you can draw your messy art and put it in your game and also if you don't want your art if you if you can't draw the thing that you want it to look like you can learn how to draw the thing that you want it to look like like it's not a it's not a like innate quality yeah (laughs) it's really there are so many resources out there now in a way that there haven't been at any other period in history of like you want to learn how to draw something like it's in a scientific textbook you can for sure do that it's yeah. it is easier you learned how to make a game like whatever it is like you have already <laughs> taken on some skills of creation you are capable to do other right. skills of creation yeah shout out to capitalism the biggest thief of our time right like yeah. that's the only barrier is that people maybe don't have time or space to get things to where they want to be I invite you to join us in trying to topple the system and we'll get, we'll try to get you that time and space. Uh, but yeah, like it is learnable. If you don't have time to learn it, it is circumventable. I hope people put their stuff out. I don't know. I also think that like in the same way that you were like, Oh, when I first read this book, it was 14 pages and now it's double that or whatever. Like you can put out the version of your game that doesn't have maybe the layout that you want it to. Right and then go back and do it or find somebody to help you with because they might have found your game and then they want to, like... I feel like Speedrun is a really good example of that. <laughs> of I put out a game that I love, and then... And then I one happened. of my favorite comic artists was like, yeah. hey, if you ever want art for this, I almost cried. And now there is a version of Speedrun that has this beautiful art in it. Yeah. Uh, it's good times. Yeah, um, I, um, I want the... Uh, which is the transubstantiate that one i want that art piece on a t-shirt that's the is that the one with like the brain bursting out almost no it's the wings oh yes yeah i want it on a t-shirt so if you're listening please let me give you money for your art on a t-shirt somehow um it's very good it's very evocative it's like full perfect to the vibes and i think that like what's interesting about it is that when you read this because of the themes of it it could have been a more like classical like clean lines art also like it absolutely could have been and still carried some of the vibes because you have vampires because you have all this like 
you know, there could be a bunch of illustrations of wacky guns in here. Um, and so I don't even think it's like this is the only art that ever could have carried the theme. But I do think it does a very good job of that. Um, a thing that I thought was another thing that I thought was really good. <laughs> Look, I'm only going to be positive this time. It never happens. Um, <laughs> is the describing the forever dawn under the the how to how to there's a chapter that kind of or there's a page that helps you get into the setting like describe right. the it's setting almost of like the, the start of the gm section it, there's yeah. the describing and then it gets into like making npcs and stuff but there are three sentences and they start with if this game was a show if this game was a comic series if this game was a video game and they are so good <laughs> like they're so good at setting up i think so much of the what what i'm responding positive to positively too when reading this is just how well framed the content of the game is yeah um so if this game was a show it would be animated exaggerated with whipping action sequences if this game was a comic series it would have bright colors heavy line work and big panels of scenery if this game was a video game it would be open world with lovingly written side quests and secrets and explosive action at any moment uh and thinking and i have never once thought when making any of my games if this game was a show if this game was a comic book if this game was a video game and now i want to go back and try and like challenge myself to come up with those one sentence that that yeah. for every game i've ever made um because it's just like really helpful and clever and it does that thing where it like references other media without being like this is exactly this tv show that you this is succession meets interview with the vampire that's not what this game is at all but oh, i don't want to play that game yeah. uh <laughs> that game you just described i do want to play this game um but then there's all these like th there's all this description of both the landscape and the denizens of the environment and they're just like bullet form bullet form sentences and as a person who often uh, is running around, I feel like, to me, the experience of GMing is usually like trying to herd cats, and I get a little lost in it sometimes, and I find things like this really useful when there's just like some touchstones that I can go back to if I'm like lost in a moment or thinking about what mechanically the implications of uh, any given moment are, and not feeling like I can come up with the the evocative adjectives in that moment <laughs> these lists are very helpful for me to be like oh, okay like clean water is scarce protected in, o in oasises by mutated beasts and i'm like okay great so if i need to describe instantly like what's off in the in the distance i can just lift that right out of there um and throw it into the game which i find very helpful because it's one of the areas that i personally struggle as a as a gm um so i felt it was like it was just nice just nice, but also very thin. No extra, no excess sentences. Of... Again, yeah, a page. Yeah. And then another years. page of NPC stuff. Yeah. Which, yeah. Also, there is something to be said for it being broken up. Like, there is just a lot of space. Like, th this, this book is written in full sentences, but there is a lot of space. And they are often, like, short paragraphs as opposed to long paragraphs. And I'm just realizing that, like, the general eye fatigue, like, at no point am I looking at a wall of text even though it's pretty text heavy. Um, and I appreciate that on the way yeah. up front. I would love, since you're being only nice, I will say hmm. I would love a table of contents. That's the only thing I've missed out of this book when I was trying to, but only because I was trying to put our agenda together and list out the chapters. And I had <laughs> to do it manually. I couldn't look at the table of contents. Uh, 
that's not actually a criticism. I don't <laughs> I don't actually care. It was fine. Um yeah, I don't know. Is there other we're at an hour. Well, there's those lovely episode hooks. There's the whole episode conversation framing it like it's a, a little a TV show and the episode well, there's these episode hooks which are kind of like game game hooks which are cool and then in the introductory adventure there is this half page that is last time on Bloodbeam's Badlands which I think is very neat yeah <laughs> like uh it's it's it could be what's happened since the last time you played or it could be just this little vignette of what's happened off screen uh to get you started in your first session Right, just so you're not meeting at a tavern or whatever. Yeah. I, I like meeting at a tavern. Last time on Bloodbeam Badlands, we were at a tavern. <laughs> um, but they're very fun. After a long sustained battle with a robot behemoth, the vampires haul a huge cache of valuable tech union technology while utterly drained of blood, and then it gives you something to set it up with. So two blo- two bu- plus two bullet, minus two blood. So it also instantly like changes the mechanical circumstances that your players find themselves in, which... I think we've talked about this before, but I love anything that like just throws a wrench in shit. Uh, and I feel like that could right off the bat throw a wrench in shit because that makes the that makes the mechanics an interesting puzzle to start off with. So we gotta I don't get know. more blood. Well, people and sometimes people don't like this, right? Like there's this I, but I really like being put in an unexpected circumstance right off the bat, um, and potentially like in a shittier circumstance. Like I don't, I'm not the player that looks in between sessions is like I'm going to plan for exactly how I'm going to start the next session, you know? And so this would interrupt that even if I had done that. Yeah, yeah. This along with the dice rolling section just gives the whole game forward momentum. You aren't yeah. just waking up with nothing to do after a long fought battle. Like either, either you did a, a battle and now there's repercussions from it or it like forces you to take action uh, sooner than later by giving you this either resource deficit or um, again with like the episode hooks, like you have you're, you're cutting out sort of the uh, introduction and you're going right into the rising action. And I think most of the reason that we play is for the action, especially in something like this, which uh, to skip ahead ever so slightly to the reference page, um, one of Viditia has a section that's just miscellaneous, includes Nerf guns. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this game is, you know, which is awesome because, like, especially as as someone who does a lot of just like movie adaptations, just the idea of like, I want this game to feel like when you played with Nerf guns is really cool and novel. But when a game is made inspired by playing with toys, um you don't think back fondly usually on the moment where you're pu- putting the super soaker under the sink and filling up the tank and waiting, <laughs> you know, you're, the fun parts are shooting. So yeah. like this game in the same way gets you to its core sooner than later. And that's what the actual like game is, is just being in these bombastic moments and scenes. Yeah, it's good. All right, and it includes this little intro it. adventure, but it's good. Yeah. In oh, do we need to? Oh, shit, I forgot it's... about. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
You love an intro adventure. I do, and this one's good. This one uh, is where Revolver Face appears. Multiple factions. You don't have to, you know, it's you get to negotiate amongst factions, which is one of my favorite things. Uh, some kind of special rules to the adventure and to the NPCs. A set of set pieces that you can just throw out there. Uh, and it's very short. But, but tense. Again, it's gun like... for a face that may become too powerful for you to deal with. Yeah. Gun, gun face dinosaur. It's hard for me to envision playing this game and not just making weird gun face everything. Like, just this is the theme now. This is, everything has a gun for a face. Uh, I don't know. Are we done? It's been an sure. hour. What's do, our, uh... do you have... Do you have media to recommend, Max? Well, I don't, because I feel like I recommended the media that I, I was thinking about while reading this on a, on a prior episode. Um, and often vampires, I don't, I don't do a vampire media. I also don't do Wild West. These are my, like, I want to play this game, which is so funny because these are my, like, genre pits that I stay away from. But this is like this is like the first time that somebody's been like, "Do you want to do you want to do like a Wild West game?" And I've been like, "Yeah, that sounds great." And every other time, it's like, "Oh, you want to read this book or you want to watch this show?" Like even when everybody was obsessed with Westworld, I was like, "Westworld is bad. Get out of here." Uh, <laughs> so I I am I am void of recommendations because the thing that I was thinking about was the Gilda stories, the novel that I mentioned uh, on a prior episode, which is very good, but is my favorite vampire novel. Uh, I'm going to say Born by Jeff Vandermeer. If you liked Annihilation, you'll probably like this one. And if you didn't like Annihilation, like I didn't really like that book, I love this book. It's post-apocalyptic, but it is not uh, like a dude's fantasy of being the supreme violence maker. It is about how times are slowly getting harder for people and how that is some people's fault and kind of the sad things and the hard work that is required in the face of that. Also, there's a giant mutant bear that at one point learns how to fly. Wow. Wow. It's good. It's really good. It's a good, it's a good end. Uh, I, want, I want to just randomly throw in a mutant bear to a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple, but it's weird because this game is such a unique standalone piece um like we said earlier it's not trying to emulate um necessarily anything you've ever seen before and that's where its strength is um Mm -hmm. but i have two movies that i wanted to mention as sort of like modern alternative vampire takes because i think a lot of the stuff that makes this game special is it's is its spin on vampirism um and i think there are a lot of cool indie movies that are sort of exploring what vampirism is and like not taking for granted a lot of the tropes and like dracula's and those sort of gothic media um the first is a movie called bliss that is i believe it's streaming on shutter but um it's like weird coked out stoner metal artist vampires um it's like a drug (laughs) that you take that turns you into a vampire and you are uh it's about an artist who um is like 
in search of inspiration and taking these drugs recreationally and then how that like loss of control um Viditia specifically mentions early in the text about like a vampire's traditional loss of agency as being a sort of harmful uh trope in that genre this movie touches on that but it also shows like being a vampire might actually suck um, no pun intended, just like it right, might actually it be um, a very different experience than what we're led to believe. And to further that, um, another movie called My Heart Won't Beat Unless You Tell It To is a very like somber take on vampirism. As That's a really good title. Yeah. Um, it's more of like vampirism as a disease rather than like a power fantasy. And... Um, it reflects some of the themes of this game of like the sun never goes down. So you're always being beaten down by it as someone who's historically, I guess, allergic to the sun. Um, So it reduces the like sort of power fantasy level of a vampire. And that movie's pretty sad. It's a lot also about um, obligation to family. And again, sort of like D making less special the idea of being a vampire and making it actually just one of the worst things that can happen to you and i think both of those are really compelling thematically and how they relate to different takes on what it means to be a vampire they both sound really good um adam do you want to tell people where they can find your stuff and if there's anything else you want to say about your work yeah, um, all of my games are in print at worldchamp.io and digitally at worldchampgameco.itch.io. Um, I have a game on Kickstarter. It might be right now, depending on when this comes out. Um, from June 6th and running for about two weeks, it's called 1978, The Night They Came Home. And it's a two-player competitive storytelling game of a slasher and a survivor who are in a sort of forever faded cat and mouse game in a haunted house for the night of Halloween. Um, that sounds so good. Obviously inspired heavily by John Carpenter's Halloween, but stands alone as a system by which you create your own mythology and slasher and um, final girl and how they're sort of inextricably tied together and constantly fighting one another with no clear victor in sight. Um I'm really excited for that. It looks and plays beautifully. I uh, just, yeah, feels like a light bulb moment for me. And I'm really focusing a lot this year on making horror games. And that one really feels like um, a sort of tentpole of my future vision of like what a horror tabletop experience is. I'm excited. You also... That will be when we release this, but also the day we're recording this, you released a game. I did. Which is not. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I have to leave this podcast and go read this little game that you released. Yeah, Sleepless Seas. It was like, I actually just uh, made it over the weekend and hit print yesterday on Monday. But um, it's inspired by Dredge, the video game from Black Salt Games. Uh, you play the year. as an insomniac who fishes because they have like seemingly nothing else to do Uh, you're haunted by this extreme loss and this and this absence that it created in your life and also um hallucinations from your lack of sleep and it's a solo game 
uh, that has you, you know, driving your boat around and meeting all kinds of strange folks. Um, it's a cool, weird, like, folded format where the shipping location map folds up into an envelope that stores the rulebook zine and, like, it was a fun little, like, paper craft that I got to make. Um, but also is, yeah, just sort of a depressing game that's vaguely about fishing. <laughs> that's my, I, I had to bring it up because we kind of have, like, this running theme about uh, just guys having bad times on Sad boats. Absolutely. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> it's a theme, and I was like, mm, yes, of course, of course, Adam put out one in our, I'm going to start, I'm going to have to start a collection on itch that is, here's just sad guys having bad times on boats. Uh, yeah. Great. Awesome. Also the jam. Do you want to say uh, anything else about the jam? Yeah. I did not set up the link yet. There will be a link in the show notes here by the time you are hearing this. Um, but if any of this game excited you, and if you are drawn in by our talk about how you can make a game, even if you don't feel like you have the skills or if you never have before, uh, I really just want this to be a fun place where people, one, will read Vid's game, but two, interact with it. And you can interact with the mechanics. You can interact, you know, there's, I'm sure, some really cool ways to make new settings for this game. You can make new classes. I think it's just there are lots of ports for you to sail into on this game. So please check out the show notes. Um, I will be tweeting about it as well. Uh, I think it'll be open for about a month. And I want to have a little special episode where I we talk about some of the entries, especially if they are from uh, first-time game designers um, and just, you know, shine a light on people, help people connect with other people at their same levels, stuff like that. Uh, you know, I say all that and then Maybe we'll just get two entries or whatever, and that'll be fine too, but got to put it out there. Um, find our Discord if you want to hang out. We'll probably have a channel for the jam there. And we are still on Patreon, patreon.com slash rtfmcast. There will be special zine club episodes there, ad-free episodes, and a bunch of other stuff. Um yeah, I think after this episode, we're doing Thousand-Year-Old Vampire. I think we're actually yeah, we're recording that era. before the next one comes out, so that one might come out first, in which case, ignore all this. Um, that's it for me, for us, I think. Yeah, give us give us your quote. I'm, we already ruined it. It's My quote is, Revolver face, colon, a mutated Tyrannosaurus Rex with a giant revolver for a face. <laughs> so good. Revolver face forever. <laughs> <laughs>